I knew at some point preacher was going to ask me to preach, not because we talked about it, but because God had laid a message on my heart. And I talked to Tiffany about it. I said, man, I, God's put a message on my heart. She said, well, maybe you need to tell preacher. Well, I never did, but he called me this week like he did Brother Brock. <laughs> and, uh, hey, could you preach Sunday morning? I said, yes. <laughs> uh, yes. So anyway, uh, it is a great honor and privilege. I'll say it every time, but it is a great honor and privilege to stand up here and share the word with you. And uh, I like doing it. I don't do it for fun, but it is fun. And uh, it's a great responsibility. I'm trying to shift gears here between the choir director and preaching. <laughs> uh, Brother Brock said he was eighth string this morning. I said, well, if you're depending on the choir director for your message, what string is that? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Anyway. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to First uh, Samuel chapter 17. How many of you had a bulletin this morning? What did it say on the bottom right hand part of the page. <clears throat> Bold print. There's two things it says. Turn your cell phone off. Now, if you're using it for your Bible, just turn the noise off. Uh, try not to be a distraction to those around you. Uh, it bugs me to no end when I'm sitting there and I hear... Ah, it just drives me nuts. So let's not have the secretary wasting ink with that message. Let's heed it so that everybody in here can listen to the Word of God today and not be distracted. First uh, Samuel chapter 17, and we'll read verses 1 through 3. It says, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth, belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah. And why did I, I'm like, Brother Harold, why did I pick this verse with all these? Shoko and Azekah and Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines st stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side. And there was a valley between them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for being able to meet together today. Thank you that we have a place to meet and we can meet without fear of repercussion from anyone. We may get criticized, but uh, Lord, it's not illegal and I thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to hearts today. For that one that's lost here and doesn't know you and is on their way to hell without you, I pray that you, that they, you would be closest to them today. Lord, and convict them of their need of a Savior. And Lord, I pray that you would use these lips of clay to say what you need to say, not what I need to say. And Lord, that you would just use your word greatly today. Step down from heaven and move among us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, I, this thought came to me. I don't know what brought this about. It was, it was listening to somebody preach, and, and they were talking about this, but... Uh, the thing I want to look at here, verse number 3 says, And there was a valley between them. 
So I want to address the subject this morning, why the valley? Why the valley? I was born in a place called Elk Valley. And, uh, and I always kid Tiffany about the good things that come from Elk Valley, which was me. And I always say, well, you can take the boy out of Elk Valley, but you can't take Elk Valley out of the boy. Now, if you know this place, you know that's sarcasm. Uh, uh, it was nestled in between the mountains in uh, East Tennessee. It, was a beaut- it is a beautiful place. And uh, everywhere you look, mountains all around. The scenery was beautiful, surrounded by mountains. And on occasion, I, I miss that scenery. On occasion, I miss being able to step out and, and 360 degrees is mountains all around you. And here, you know, you look over there and there's the mountains. And uh, I, look, I was looking at a, a map one day and it, and it showed. Now, when you're in the Black Hills, they feel huge. You know, when you're right in the middle of them, they feel huge. But when you look at a topographical map and you see the Black Hills and then you see the Rockies over here next to them, you know, they don't, you're like, well, that's really... But anyway, I, I miss that scenery time, uh, at times, and, and I, I enjoy driving out in the hills, and, and you drive through, and, and then you come out into this just big open area, and there's mountains on both sides. I like driving out Nemo Road. How many of you know where the big rocking chair is out there? Is that what it's called, the big rocking chair or the big chair or something? I love that field and that valley all the way down through there as you're driving out through there. And, uh, uh, but why the valley? I love it when the, when the roads open up into a big valley. Uh, we took some trips up to Glacier National Park when we lived in Montana. And boy, you would just climb and climb and climb and climb on these roads. And then you just look down. How many have been to Glacier? Yeah, we went up there three or four times. And, and uh, you just look down and you see all of this stuff. You know, all, and to me, it looked like it couldn't even be real. It was like somebody put a painting out there. That's not real what I'm looking at. But you're looking down into these valleys. And boy, what a, what a sight it was. And uh, we live in Colorado. God's allowed us to live in some beautiful places. And uh, so while we were in Colorado, we'd go up to Pikes Peak. And you can see so much from Pikes Peak. It's just crazy. And, and the views from up there are amazing. Hudson, Hudson and I traveled to Central City, Colorado... Now, how many of you know what the town of Central City is? One of you? That's good. <laughs> it's a gambling town. But we don't go there for that reason. There's a big car event, and we travel there every year. Matter of fact, we don't even stay there. We camp out in a Forest Service campground. But we take a trip down there every year, and, and part of that is this big old car gathering. And, and on the Friday we're down there, we, we get in, and we drive about 75 to 100 miles. We go all the way up to Mount Evans. And, man... I almost wish Hudson was driving it so I could look around. And because I don't tend to stay in my lane when I'm looking around. But I, I just look at that and, and we'll drive and then we'll stop at this certain place uh, just above Idaho Springs. If you know where Idaho Springs is, we take this old silver mining road in my old Hudson. We drive the Hudson from here all the way down there. And we take this old silver mining road and it's washboarded. And I had Hudson video in this year as we were going up through there. And I mean, it's switchback turns and. And the car's doing this on the washboards, and I'm trying to keep speed up to keep the car cool and all that sort of stuff. But we get to the top where we always take our lunch break, and we, we pull under a shade tree, and we're just looking out over that. And I'm just like, this, somebody did this. God did this. 
And we look all the way over to Echo Mountain, where we just were about an hour, hour and a half prior to that. There's this little bare spot, and that's how I know it's Echo Mountain. It's a, uh, it's a ski mountain, mostly terrain park for snowboarders. But anyway, I see that bare spot, and I know we drove, we just drove by that an hour and a half. But there's this big old valley between us and where we were. And we came down from there, and we went through the valley, and then we start climbing back up, and we get on this mountain peak where we're at, and we're looking back over to that. And it's just, I just stand there and look at it. I don't even have to say anything, but we talk about it. Just like, look at all that. And we sit up there and have our lunch and just enjoy what our Creator has done. And uh, we'll, we'll get out to our campground where we're at, and we'll hike up to the top of a peak, and, and we'll look down. And uh, I made Hudson kind of nervous this year. He's like, Dad, get away from that edge. <laughs> and I said, well, let's go down to the bottom and look up. But, you know, we're up there and we're looking, at, we're looking down at all of this. And, and it's, always, it's always so nice to be up on top of the mountain looking down. You can see way more. And so this was... What got my thinking going? I said, you know what? It, it's, it's wonderful to be up on top of the mountain looking down. And, but, you know, we're looking down to the most valuable land. It's nice to be on the mountaintop. But the most valuable land is down in the valley. How many of you know farmers that raise corn on the top of a mountain at 10,000 feet? Or they grow wheat at 10,000 feet or 14. There's nothing growing at the top of Pike's Peak. Nothing. You get to a certain point. I mean, the trees just get, the farther you go up, the trees just get less and less. And the car has to work harder to go up there. And then there's like that line where everything just stops growing. But yet we like to live on the mountaintop. We talk about these mountaintop experiences and all this. The more I look at it, God's people had better experiences in the valley. It was in the valley. And all of this time, you know, all of my life, man, I just want to be on the mountaintop. I, I do love being on the mountaintop. I like being up there. But honestly, we should not be up there and camping out. Is it fun to go down into the valley? Not most of the time. Most of the time, it's not. I mentioned, uh, if you were a farmer wanting to grow a crop, uh, what would be the most valuable land? It would be the bottom land. Not the top land. It would be the bottom land. Now, Brother Brock, you had how many pages this morning? Three? Four? Okay. See, I have nine of these. (laughs) I usually can't get through one. On a Wednesday night with the youth group. Matter of fact, we've done one of them twice, and I didn't make it any farther this week than I did last week. On the recap, I never got into the new lesson yet. So, anyway, bottom land is more valuable in the case of the farmer. Top land is hard to work, it's rocky, it's hard, it's hard to irrigate. Water doesn't stay up there. When you irrigate it, guess what happens? The water comes down. Where we go out there in Blackhawk, Central City, Colorado, uh, when me and Hudson hike up from our campground up to the top, it's all rock. 
Nothing grows up there. there. There's some trees, but on the ground itself, there's no grass. You know, there's really no weeds at the top. It's rock. It's, it's nice to be there. It's nice to look down. But we can't stay up there. We can't camp, up, camp out up there. Bottomland is usually closer to a water source, a river, or a stream. That's, that's the definition of bottomland. That's where the nourishment is. That's where all of the, when the water runs down, it picks up all of this stuff and brings it into the valley and makes it fertile so that things can grow. So what happens to us when we're on the mountaintop and then we go down into the valley? We pick up some stuff along the way that we can use when we get down into the valley where the battle's going to be. Things grow well close to the water source. You ever notice the difference between a tree next to the river as opposed to one at 10,000 feet? Look at these trees down here by, by just a little rapid creek down here. There's some big trees. And uh, now if you go up into the Black Hills, there's a lot of trees. But you won't find trees the diameter that you find down here by Rapid Creek. And they're soft trees. It's softwood up in, in uh, the hills. Down by the water, it's mostly hardwood trees that grow. They're nourished. They're close to the water source. There's a big difference between things in the valley and things on the mountaintop and how they grow. Uh, That's evident. Uh, High in the Rocky Mountains, the trees are tall, but they're not very big. They grow uh, relatively fast, but they're not very big. You won't find, you know, redwoods at the top of Pikes Peak. You find them in California at low elevation, lower elevation. Uh, I've never been there, but you see pictures all the time driving cars through these trees. That's a big tree. But you don't find that up on the mountain. The mountain, to me, is a place that I can just rejoice for a little bit. It's what it should be. It's a place that I just came through the valley, and I climbed back up, and I got to look back on where I was just at in the battle I came through, and I can stand up there for a little while and rejoice in what God has done for me, but I shouldn't stay there, as nice as it is and as good as it is to be there. Uh, One thing I noticed uh, with trees high in the Rockies is the roots aren't very deep. A strong wind comes through and will just topple trees. And you can see the roots, they're trying to grow, they're trying to get down into the ground, but most of them are in between these cracks in the rocks. And I have a picture of a, of a root of a tree that actually split a rock in two uh, from where we were at uh, this summer. And, and you can't hardly tell the difference between the root and the rock, but it worked its way through that rock till it split it, just trying to find somewhere that it could anchor down and grow. And so I don't know how many years that took, but that was pretty neat to see. Um, Crops grow good by the rivers and springs. Let's go back to our text. The Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah and Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah, and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side. And there was a valley between them. 
we've got here two opposing armies. And one is on this mountain and one is on this mountain. And I can imagine, you know, maybe they're up there getting their battle plan together. The Philistines see across the mountain, the men of Israel, they see them over there and they say, well, man, what, what are we going to have to do to, to win this battle? We're on the mountaintop and they're on the mountaintop. The Valley of Elah, which uh, from what I could find is about a half a mile wide. That's a pretty big valley, um, a half a mile and so as they're up there and the Philistines are wanting to fight the, the, the men of Israel, and the men of Israel, we'll see later on, they're not so much wanting to fight the Philistines after some things happen. But there was a valley between them. The valley was called the Valley of Elah. And from, from pictures I've seen, it's, it's, it's a really nice looking place. It's not a place you would really want to mar up by battle. Uh, I've been to Iraq and Afghanistan. Not much beauty that I've seen in Afghanistan. But in Iraq, there was. We were down in Baghdad. I mean, palm trees. And uh, we were uh, by the international airport. And there's palaces over there. And there's this big old lake. And, we're, and I was just like, wow. But see, we had come in and messed it all up. Because we put all of our temporary stuff there. And I'm not bad-mouthing what we do. That's what we have to do. Uh, as the military. But I mean, there was these big bathhouses that the steps come out of the back and you just walk right down into the water. I wouldn't touch the water these days. It did not look like uh, nice. But there was these nice places. So this Valley of Elah was not a place that you could just imagine a battle going on. Today, it's a nice, picturesque place. There's some, there's some satellites and radars and stuff in the valley. But um, but as they're standing there opposing each other on these mountains, I, I can imagine the fear, maybe not so much in the Philistines from what I read. It doesn't really sound like they had a whole lot of fear. They were wanting to overtake the Israelites, and they were ready to do it. But if we read on farther down, there was some fear in the men of Israel. And I can imagine the fear and the dread at the cry of the champion of the Philistines. I'm not going to tell the story of David and Goliath today. We know that's what's here, but that's not the point today. But I can imagine as this champion stepped out and you've got one man who's coming out and, and voicing, crying out to the, the men of Israel, hey, send a man down here. Choose, choose out a man and send me down here to me. And you know, the, the story was, if, we, if I lose, we'll be your servant. If you lose, you'll be our servants. And let's look at uh, verse 8, just exactly what does he say. He said, and, and he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? He's asking them, What are you guys even doing out here? Why did you even come out? He says, why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine? And ye servants to Saul? I mean, he's belittling them. You're, you're servants to Saul. I'm a Philistine. Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. 
And then we know the challenge that's given after that. And I just said that he, that he would be, they would be their servants if, if he lost, and the, children, the men of Israel would be their servants if they lost. Here's the thing. They're both standing up on this mountain. Somebody's going to have to come down from the mountain. Somebody's going to have to step down into the valley. It, it kind of gives you the impression that uh, as Goliath came out, he came down into the valley and was yelling up to these men of Israel. Because he said, come down to me. So maybe he was already halfway there. Maybe he was just at the base of the mountain. He got close enough so that they could hear him at least. And so somebody was going to have to come down from the mountain. Who was it going to be? They, they had a great test coming before them. They had a great trial coming before them. They're standing on these mount, opposing mountains. And now here's a champion of theirs who's pretty intimidating. Uh, I don't ever read anywhere that the, the men of Israel were very big men. There were some champions. There were some uh, mighty men. But you don't have to be big to be a mighty man. But in this case... I told this thing I was hot. You don't have to be a big man to be a mighty man. Now, Goliath was a big man. You can read all sorts of different things. And I was reading uh, Matthew Henry, and he gives the impression that he could have been a little over 11 feet tall. I've heard nine feet. But in Matthew Henry, he said a little over 11 feet, depending on which cubit you go by. That's a big man. 11 feet tall. I wonder how far this is, these pews. About 20, are they 30, 28 inches a piece? 11 feet tall. And not only that... In uh, verse 4 through 7, let's look at verse 4 through 7 of our chapter 17. So he comes out and he issues this challenge. He said, hey, you guys pick a man, send him down here. Somebody has to come off of the mountain. You can't win the battle on the mountaintop. The, valley, the, the battle is fought in the valley, and we're going to have to come down from our state of rejoicing sometimes, put on some faith, put on some David, and walk down in the valley and face the test head on. And that's what David did. But here in verse number 4, it said, And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now listen to this. I looked at this as a list. You ever put a list of pros and cons together? I kind of thought maybe that uh, this was what the uh, men of Israel were doing. This was their list of cons against fighting Goliath. Uh, and he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. Some say that he didn't even need a shield. It was all for show because of who he was. And he had a guy out with a shield like his welcoming party. You know, here comes Goliath. I'm carrying his shield. 
I mean, think of all the stuff he had on. He didn't really need a shield. He was covered. And most of the stuff that he had on was expensive stuff. We talk about the weight. Uh, someone said you could also look at the price. If you buy a cheap shield, guess what? He didn't have a cheap shield. Uh, our military buys some very nice stuff to protect our men. They don't skimp on the price. It's not the lowest bidder in most cases. Sometimes it is, but not for stuff that is safety-wise and protective-wise. You don't want the lowest bidder when it comes to your life. So whether it be the weight physically or the weight monetarily, financially, Goliath was prepared for battle. He was prepared not to die. But he forgot one thing. He forgot who he was up against. So as they looked down, they, they could have put all of these things, but man, he's got this and he's got this. There's no way we can fight this man. He's got all this stuff. We can't fight him. We can't win. He's way better prepared than we are for this battle. And so as they look down, I can see them just mounting all this stuff up. A list of cons is why not to accept this challenge? You ever find yourself there? You're standing up here and you see something coming. Here's why I can't do this. I don't have the money. Uh, I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the know-how. I don't have the education. I don't have the experience. I, this is why I can't do this. This is why I can't step down into this valley. I'm not prepared. I, I, I'm not qualified. I can't do this. I don't see David doing that. We know the story of David. He, he just comes out. What, what's going on with this guy out here? What's this loudmouth down here chanting? None of you guys going to do anything? That's the way I see it. I mean, that's not how the... But David was like, how come this guy's allowed to do this? Why can he do this? And nobody's moved to some action. They're all sitting back there counting why they can't. And David says, well, I, I'm, I'm going to move forward with this. Anyway, the Valley of Elah has been called by some the Valley of Battle. And that's what was going on there. We can look down and see what we're about to face. But why is it the valley that God chooses? Why is it the valley? First, we can't grow on the mountain like we can grow in the valley. The valley is fertile. This very valley is one of the most fertile valleys in Palestine, the Valley of Elah. Huge trees grow, grow there. That's what it's known for. These, I can't remember the name of the trees, but uh, it's known for these huge trees that grow. It's one of the most fertile valleys there. Uh, but we can't grow on the mountaintop like we can grow in the valley. The nourishment is not available on the mountain like it is in the valley. The minerals, all of that stuff we need, the water. But it's available in the valley. Psalm 23, 2 says, He leadeth me beside the still waters. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Raging waters come down from the mountain, but still waters are in the valley. The waters you can actually enjoy and refresh yourself with are down in the valley. Water flows fastest from its origin, from the headwaters. 
And th- you see these uh, movies where people are coming up to the waterfall. That's fast-moving water, and I really don't want to be a part of that. I want to be down to where I can hop in and float around like the lazy river. The still waters are in the valley. If you read the rest in in Psalm 23, we talk about, uh, He leadeth me beside the still waters. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's just a shadow. It's just a shadow. Uh, Me and one of the fellows that I'm in the guard with, uh, we were sitting in a restaurant last month when we were down there, and he was really going through some things. And... uh, and I told him, I said, uh, and I used this, this thought came to me when I was talking to him. And his name's Todd. I said, Todd, I said, think about it. Because he, he was talking about being in this valley. I said, Todd, think about it. That's where you get the refreshing waters is in the valley. They've come down the mountain. They've come through all of that filtration. And they're ready to be partaken of. And that's what happens in the valleys. Yeah, it might be with a battle. In the valley, he restoreth my soul. We sing songs. We sing songs. The lily of the valley. God of the mountain. It's still God in the valley. I know the Bets used to sing a song, Restore my soul in the valley. So that I might be worthy at last to stand with thee on the top of Mount Zion. Times of refreshing come after the battle in the valley. If you want to be refreshed, it's going to happen in the valley after the enemy has been defeated. Verse 24. Let's look what happens over here in verse 24. Nobody wanted to go and fight this man in the valley. Nobody wanted to come down and do that. He had given the challenge. But only David would do that. Let's look at what they did uh, before we move on. Verse 24, this, this gives you their state of mind. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. They said, and the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that has come up? Have you seen him? Surely to defy Israel he has come up. And so they start giving a list of what will be done to the man that defeats him. David asked. Then he asked again. And I kind of found that funny. So so they just went through. It shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And look what David says. David spoke to the men. What shall be done to the man that killed the Philistine? They just said what was going to be done. It was almost like he's like, wait a minute, what? What's going to happen to the guy that takes care of this? And I don't know what caught his ear in all of this list of things, but he had to hear it again. So they said, have you seen this man? Does that sound familiar in some of our own lives? Hey, but you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the valley that I'm in. Uh, Look at all the problems I have. We have to come down from the mountain and get into the battle at some point. David looked down in the valley and saw the test. He had never faced this test before. 
He had never fought a man like this before. He had fought lions. He had fought bears. He had never fought a man like this before. But the one thing he did know is that he trusted in the Lord. And the Lord that delivered him before would deliver him again no matter the size of the problem. That God would deliver him again just as he had before. Because it wasn't the size of the problem that was the issue. It was the size of God. And the God that he served. It doesn't matter how big the valley is in our life. God's always bigger. It doesn't matter the trial we're facing. It doesn't matter what it can be. The hardship. The family problems. The health problems. Financial problems. It doesn't, God's bigger than all of that stuff. If we'll just realize that. And that's what David realized here. So David was the man to come down from the mountain. And there met his challenge in the valley. But he wasn't meeting it with his own strength. He was going in the strength of the, strength of the Lord. Just as we can't meet him on our own. We can't go down into the valley alone. So why the valley? God wants us to let, let him lead us through the valley. That's why he chooses valleys. Because that's where he leads us through. And that's why he wants, and that's why he chooses valleys for us. He wants us to trust him just as David did. The valley is where our faith will grow because we'll be close to the water. It will refresh and excite and motivate others. Did you know people are watching you? I, I have a book at home and it talks about this pastor who his son... One of his children went into some deep sin. And the pastor wanted to resign from the church. And I think it was one of the deacons that came up and said, Pastor, uh, no doubt that was a huge valley for that pastor. To be the pastor of the church and have your, uh, one of your children fall into some deep sin. And then one of the deacons come up and says, Pastor, you, you can't just give up. We need to see how you handle this. We need to see how you go through this so we'll have an idea. So we'll have an example of how to go through this. See, people are watching. And when you're going through it, people want to see how you handle it. We might go through the exact same thing, and we need to have a godly example before us to see what we need to do. So look over here in, in chapter 17 still, in verse 52. Look what happened with the men of Israel. None of them volunteered to go down here and fight Goliath. You didn't see none of them raising their hand. That's me. I've got it. You guys don't worry. I, I got this handled. None of them did that. But look what happens after David did what he knew was the right thing to do. It says, And the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines. They didn't want anything to do with that before. They didn't want to pursue anything. I think they wanted to stay right up there on that mountain. As long as they could see the Philistines over there. And nobody creeping up on them. They might have been okay with that. Because they, they, this challenge I just don't think they necessarily wanted to accept. Especially after Goliath came out. But they, they arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until thou come to the valley. And to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way to Sherem. Even unto Gath and unto Ekron. So what happened? What happened to these men now? 
They saw a man of God stand up and take the challenge and run down into the valley to take care of the problem that was facing him and was facing and, and was defiling the armies of the living God. And he said, I'm not standing for it. I'm going to rush down into this valley. I'm going to trust in God. And, and look what it did to these men. It refreshed them. It excited them. They arose and shouted and pursued after the Philistines. They didn't just cheer David on. They just didn't stay back here and, hey, good job, David. Good job. I'm glad you did that because I didn't have to. No, they arose and shouted and after that pursued after the Philistines. Did you know as a church, if we, if we will rise up and get busy and do something, somebody else will see us do that, and then somebody else, and then somebody else. Next thing you know, we've got the whole church involved. Next thing you know, Rapid City's turned upside down. The gospel's getting spread from door to door to door, and people are getting saved, and the church is growing because somebody got up and went down into the valley and accepted the challenge. That was page 8. You will be an encouragement for someone else about to enter the valley. If you do it, you will be an encouragement to someone else. So why the valley? God wants you to draw near to him. If you went through one with him, you won't go through another without him. And he wants you to draw near to him. Maybe today uh, you're standing at the top of the mountain. And you're looking down into that valley. And it's a challenge like you've never accepted before. Like you've never faced before. Something in your life. And you've got to make a decision. Am I just going to stand up here and look at it? Or am I going to rush down into the valley? Because God will be with you there. You just have to trust in faith that he will be with you. Maybe you're here today and you're not even saved. You don't even know what it's like to walk with God. You don't know what it means to draw near to God. Maybe for some reason today you decided to come to church for some reason. Something was impressing upon your heart to come to church. Maybe you're not saved today. Maybe you don't, you, it doesn't mean anything to you that to have Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can meet him today. You can meet him in that valley. There's a, there's a valley of decision we read about in the Bible. If you're here today and you're lost, you're in that valley of decision. You need to make that decision today. And that will be the most important decision you'll ever make in your life, to follow and trust Christ as your Savior. There won't be a valley the same after that when you have him to go with you. Maybe you don't know what it means to walk near to the Lord today because you don't know him. Uh, come and know him today. Come and know him today. John 17, 3, and we'll close with this. Well, we'll close with this and one more thing. John 17, 3. Th this is my... Absolute favorite verse. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Life eternal has nothing to, eternal life has nothing to do with the clock. It's all about knowing Christ. 
And once you know him and you begin to walk through this life with him, you'll, you'll, you'll wonder, why? Why did I wait so long? Why did I put him off for so long? When all he wanted was the best for me. When all he wanted was to save me and to pay the price that I couldn't pay. Why did I put that off for so long? To know him. And I urge you today, if you don't know him, come running down to this altar and say, God, I don't know you, but I want to know you. I don't even really know what it means to know you, but I know the Bible says I'm supposed to know you. So whatever that means, do that work in my heart today, please. Please do that work in my heart today. Amen. As we stand, heads bowed and eyes closed. Why the valley? It's good for us to go through valleys. I want to read this quote from you. It's a little lengthy, but as we stand, heads bowed and eyes closed, says, Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness. This is from A.W. Tozer. And it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, so that I may know thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow thee. Do you want to want him? Do you long to be filled with longing? Do you thirst to be made thirsty today? Boy, if you do... Come on down and meet the Lord at the altar this morning.